Amen. Well, good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? I want to offer a suggestion for this next period of time that we have together. I know a lot of times a sermon can be something that you listen to that is invigorating, that is encouraging. And while this morning is all of those things and more, I want to kind of set the stage for how I think God wants to talk to us this morning. First of all, isn't this stage beautiful? What I would want to encourage and invite us into this morning is just take a deep breath. If space and time would allow, what I would love for to happen is for there to be a fireplace going behind me, for everyone to have their blankets, have their favorite hot cup of whatever, coffee, cider, whatever you might enjoy, and just rest. Just pause. This season can be so busy, can be so hectic, can be so chaotic that sometimes we just miss the simple things that God wants to say, the simple reminders that he has for us of his love for us, of what he's done for us, of what this season's really about. This morning, I want to invite us into that intimate chat with the Father. I want to invite us to try and do everything we can to remove distractions, to be able to put ourselves in the frame of mind where we are open and willing to hear what God has to say to us this morning. Can we do that? Well, I am very excited to be preaching on this first Sunday in December. Um, it hasn't always been this way, but especially since I've had children, um, Christmas is such an exciting time. It's a time where you get to see their little minds turning and you get to see the joy on their faces when not only do they receive things, but they think about the gifts they want to give to friends, to parents. It's a time where almost everywhere we turn, there's symbolism of what Jesus did for us on the cross. We look at Christmas lights and we remember the light of the world. We look at crosses and we remember his sacrifice. We look at nativity scenes. We remember him being born of a virgin and coming to take the place of our sins so that we could be reconciled to God. Everywhere we look within the Christmas season, we're reminded of who it is that Jesus is and what that means for our lives today. So it's an exciting time. It's an introspective time. And it's a time to remember the great work that Jesus has done for us. But it also can be kind of stressful. It can be stressful with all of the events that are happening it can be stressful with all of the different obligations that might be on you during this time period. And if you're anything like me, it can be stressful because you sit to yourself and you wonder, what in the world am I going to buy my wife? Amen. If you're surrounded with wonderful women like I am, they take 99.7% of the work off of our plate. But the understanding is, I'll take that 99.7%, but you better not mess up the 0.3%. <laughs> this morning, I have three goals for our time together. Number one, I want to create an atmosphere in which we all feel comfortable, we can hear from God, hopefully have some funny moments. I want to deliver truth to you, and I hope to get you out of, out of here early today. But I'm going to warn you that I have to do two of those. So if you don't laugh, we're going long. So just make that perfectly clear. But when it comes to presence, I have a, uh, I have a few suggestions for you. 
If you're having a hard time thinking about what to get, not necessarily your significant other, we make that very clear, these gifts that I'm proposing are not for my significant other, but they are something that is funny, something that I hope will get you thinking, and something that I found to be quite humorous this time of year. So Dan, if you could put those on the screen, we're gonna go through a couple of these. The first one that I found very appropriate, especially for this year, is your commute from home coffee mug. I'm not sure if you can see on the screen what's displayed, but it shows the route that you're supposed to take from the kitchen to the bathroom, to the office, to the bedroom, because let's be honest, how many of us, that's our commute these days. It's not to the office. It's how do I walk around my house and make sure that if I have a Zoom conference call, that at least the top half is professional. <laughs> so your commute from home coffee mug. Next one, this is gross. How many of you have ever walked into a public bathroom like, man, I have no choice, but I wish I did right now? So your public toilet survival kit is easy to carry and comes complete with a toilet seat cover, antiseptic wipes, and disposable gloves. It has everything they need to make their experience as pleasant as possible. Well, as pleasant as it can be using a public toilet. <laughs> Next one. This one I found to be quite humorous. This is a fake belly fanny pack. So if you just can't figure out what to get for that special person in your life, maybe it's a fake belly fanny pack. I don't think any explanation is required on this one. This one, now this one was funny. This is a passive-aggressive notepad. And for the sake of all of you all, since you might be able to see, I'm just going to go ahead and read what it says on this notepad. It says, Dear Shane, you might want to consider respecting other people's stuff and listening to others. Lately, I've noticed that you ate all the candy, and I would have had someone, I would, I would hate if someone had to actually confront you, signed the office. <laughs> so for all of you people that conflict is just completely out of the question, perhaps you could consider a notepad of passive-aggressive notes. This one was quite humorous. This is a t-shirt that says, I run marathons in large print, and in parentheses underneath it says, on Netflix. <laughs> and lastly your pizza pouch travel pack. So when you've got that piece of pizza that you just don't want to finish, instead of throwing it away, just throw it in this nice pretty necklace and you can just carry it with you all throughout the day. So maybe those gifts have sparked some creativity on behalf of your gift-giving search, but um, all kidding aside, I'm very excited to be able to share this message with you this morning especially as we enter into the Christmas season and we all wrestle for ourselves and for the people around us, what in the world does a baby in a manger some 2,000 years ago have to do with my life today? How is my life different because he came? What changed? And what am I going to do about it? So I'm going to pray and then we will get started this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you I thank you for a time of year to be able to hit pause. I thank you for a time of year in which the symbolism is rich of what you have done to reconcile us to yourself. What you did sending Jesus as a baby in a manger to live a sinless life, to die on the cross, so that we could be in right relationship with you. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that as your word goes out, that it wouldn't return to you void, but that it would reap a harvest. Lord, I pray that 
with all of the things that are going on with people's lives in this room, Lord, I pray that we could just be present here for this period of time to hear what it is that you have to speak to our hearts, that we would be encouraged and strengthened in our spirit, and Lord, that we would enjoy this season to the fullest. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I know that I'm incredibly biased, but my kids are awesome. This morning as I was putting some final notes together and um, working at my desk, uh, Levi was on his iPad, which especially in 2020, he's on quite a bit. And uh, I said, buddy, can you do me a favor? He said, yeah, sure, dad, what do you need? He said, can you make me a cup of coffee? He said, yeah, I'd love to. Something he does a lot and he enjoys doing is he'll go to the Keurig and he'll press the button and he'll put a little um, wrapper on the coffee cup and he'll bring it in to me. And uh, it, it's great. I enjoy giving him something to do, and it's, it's awesome to instill those values in him to make sure that he's looking for people around him. So this morning, he said, buddy, can you bring me a coffee? I said, yeah, Dad, I'd love to. And uh, as he brings it in, he said, Dad, don't peek at the cup, okay? I said, all right. He said, I'm going to unveil the cup. He didn't say unveil. He said, I'm going to take the wrapper off the cup, um, and I want you to see what cup I chose for you this morning. I'm like, oh, dear, what's it going to be? And he takes off the wrapper. He said, Dad, this is perfect for today. And on it is one of Melissa's Ray Dunn cups that says, Dream Big. I'm not a very emotional person. <clears throat> Those that are close to me would, uh, would admit that. But there are two things that can get to your heart faster than anything. And it's kids and Jesus. And we have both of those this morning, so I think I might be in trouble. <laughs> But I hope to do Levi justice this morning, to dream big, to, to believe that God has something for us that could be pivotal at this season of our lives, this season of 2020, which, thank God, is almost over. But I really want us to be present. So with all of that said, our text for this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17. It says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be, recogni- be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Now the first thing that I want to make very clear this morning, especially in 2020, is who does it say that we are ambassadors of? Does it say in the text that we are ambassadors of a certain political party? Does it say in the text that we are ambassadors of a certain land? Does it say in the text that we are ambassadors of ourselves? Though sometimes we act like we are. No, it says that we are ambassadors of Christ. I think that oftentimes when we experience some of the emotions that were in that video that we watched this morning, some of that fear, some of that hopelessness, some of that cynicism, which I am guilty of, 
from time to time. I think sometimes when we experience those emotions, we have forgotten that we are ambassadors for Christ and we have taken up a different banner. When we experience fear and uncertainty and we're worried about what's to come and all of those things, I think that we've forgotten that our ambassadors for Christ don't need to be shaken. I think we've forgotten whose banner we are following under. See, it's not the king of the land, it's the king of kings. When all of the stuff of this world passes away, Jesus will still be king. And that's the banner that we raise. That's the cause that we are ambassadors for. We don't have to be worried about what's happening in the world. We should be aware, absolutely. We don't have to act like there's no hope because even in situations where it feels that way, our hope isn't based on anything here, it's based on Jesus. Never changing, never moving, Jesus. That has nothing to do with the three points of the sermon today, but I just felt like it was necessary to say. You guys better laugh or we're going to go long. But this morning, I want to talk about three things specifically in regards to reconciliation. I want to talk about the responsibility of Jesus, of what he came to do, of making sure that we understand and recognize that it was not an easy feat for him to come, for him to be born, for him to live a sinless life, and for him to die on the cross on our behalf. We're going to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about our righteousness in him. We're going to talk about what changed when Jesus died. When Jesus died and provided a justification or forgiveness of our sins, what standing do we now have before the Father? And finally, we're going to talk about our responsibility going forward. So that's where we're going this morning. We're going to talk about Jesus. We're going to talk about his responsibility. We're going to talk about our righteousness in him because of what he did. And then finally, our responsibility. The first one that I want to discuss is our responsibility is that Jesus not only came to earth, he didn't come triumphantly as Jesus through the clouds. He chose to be born a virgin. Now, I don't know about y'all, most of you have, but I've been a, a part of a few birth stories. And they are beautiful, they are wonderful, but they are traumatic, they are painful, they are long, drawn-out difficult journeys. Is that, is that fair to say? Beautiful, don't get me wrong, but difficult. See, Jesus, being God, could have chosen any path to come, but he didn't choose the simple. He didn't choose the easy. He chose to identify with us in our humanity, to be born of a virgin, to be born the same way that my three kids were, and to experience pain and temptation, just like you and I. See, Hebrews 4 and verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. See, it's, I think it's important for us to remember and to realize that all of those same temptations that we face, the temptation to put self before others, the temptation to identify other gods other than Jesus, the temptation to take the easy way out when no one's looking, all of those things that we struggle with, Jesus had that temptation, yet he withstood it. He fought with his brothers. He probably disagreed with his mom a time or two. In fact, one of those times is recorded in Scripture. 
He experienced and was tempted in every way, yet was without sin. Galatians 4.4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman, and made under the law. See, Jesus came and experienced our humanity. He experienced what it's like to have pain, to be hungry, to be thirsty, to be tired, all of these things that we experience. And why I think that's important is because the contrast in the culture at the time was they had deities that were far over and above anyone that was on earth. So you had two different classes in the system, and there was people and there was the gods. And people couldn't understand the gods. The gods were completely separate. And what their structure was of religion was their goal was to do everything they, try, they tried and could to appease the gods. So if they would make sacrifices, if they would work harder, if they would do this, if they would do that, they would try and earn the favor of the gods. But the message that Jesus had when he came is that we're doing away with that whole system. I'm going to work. I'm going to be the one who takes the punishment for sin. I'm going to be the one who does all of that and offers it to you as a free gift. You see, reconciliation has nothing to do with how good we are. It has nothing to do with what we've done other than say yes to Jesus. There's nothing that I can do. There's nothing that you can do to earn the, same, the right standing that we have before the Father today. And that was completely countercultural because what they would have experienced, what they would have expected was for Jesus to say, if you will do this, 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 and this, if you'll live under this sacrificial system, if you'll do these feasts, if you'll do all of these things, then maybe you'll get the favor of the gods. That's not what he said. He said, I'm going to do the work because I want relationship with you. I want you to be reconciled. And it's because of me, not because of you. Romans says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still God's enemies, that's when Jesus came and that's when he died. Romans 8, 3, it says, For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. See, Jesus did what we couldn't. None of us will ever measure up. None of us will ever be good enough. But that's okay, because we don't have to be. That's what I want us to be able to remember and to embrace and to cherish this Christmas season, is that this reconciliation that God did was countercultural. It was the first of its kind. It was the only of its kind. And it's so sweet that we need to make sure that everyone knows about this experience that we have in Christ. And I think probably the hardest part about Jesus' responsibility coming to earth was that moment that we see in anguish on the cross when Jesus cries out and says, My Father, why have you forsaken me? See, I, I don't think it's possible to overemphasize the pain of that moment. The pain of having the sin of the world on your shoulders the pain of having a relationship with a father that was so intimate. And to endure the cross. See, I think it's tempting during Christmas and throughout the year, because of our familiarity with this story, to sell short its significance. 
I think it's a lot easier for us to see Jesus in a manger than Jesus on a cross. Because babies are cute, don't get me wrong. And that had to happen for that to happen. But we have to have both. Jesus coming as a baby, living a sinless life, and dying a horrible death on the cross for us so that reconciliation was possible. The scripture says that for the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross. And I think that's a very important passage for us to think about because it doesn't say that for the joy set before him, Jesus enjoyed the cross. It doesn't say for the duty set before Jesus, he endured the cross. No, it says for the joy set before Jesus. When he thought about the totality of his life, from the manger to the tomb and the resurrection, for the joy set before him of you and I being reconciled to God, he endured the cross. It was not easy. It was not painless. It was incredibly painful, both emotionally to be separated from the Father, to endure all of our sins on himself, and physically, he endured what was considered at the time to be the most painful death possible. A death by being hung on a cross. And see, a lot of times, at least in how we live out our lives, we live like that's the only part of the story. Sometimes we live like Jesus is still in a tomb and that Sunday didn't come. But that's not the case. That's not the case at all. We serve a Jesus who not only lived and was born, died on a cross, but rose again on the third day. And because that happened, everything changes. Because Jesus rose from the dead, he took our punishment, we now have a right standing before God. And that's what Paul's talking about in 2 Corinthians and being reconciled. See, it's so much more than just look what Jesus did. It's look at what Jesus did for me and look at its implications for the world. That's why he says we are ambassadors for Christ. What does it mean to be an ambassador? An ambassador is one who represents another and goes to another land and proclaims that message. That's what it means in politics in our world, and that's what Paul was getting at here is we are to be ambassadors for Christ, to go into wherever we are, to go into the far corners of the, of the earth and proclaim the message that everything in life is different now because of Jesus. These systems that we find ourselves in that are just dead ends, these religions that we find ourselves in that are lifeless, these beliefs that we have that lead to death and that leave us feeling empty and broken and bitter inside, all of that can be different now because of Jesus. There's a passage in Hebrews 10 that I want to read for us this morning. It says, And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Friends, because of what Jesus did, we are being made perfect forever until we are reunited face to face with him in heaven. It's not like you're okay now, but God will love you more if you do a little bit more. See, that was what they believed was the case with the other systems in the world was that the God's response was based on what you did. 
But Jesus' belief, Jesus' life demonstrates that because he died, because we're reconciled, we have a right standing before the Father forever. Maybe that's something that somebody in this room needs to be reminded of this morning, is that if you have accepted Jesus into your heart, those things that the devil nags at you about, those things that when it gets too quiet and they come up in the back recesses of your mind that you're not good enough, that you've done too much wrong, that Jesus could never love you, friends, those are lies. Those are lies from the enemy because if the Bible is true, if Jesus is true, if our message today is just as true now as it was then, it says right here that through one act, through one act, you are made perfect forever. And let's remember that one act was not what you did, but what he did on the cross. See, the beauty of reconciliation, the beauty of salvation in Jesus Christ is that our response is all that's required of us. What's done is all based on who God is and what Jesus did on the cross. Isaiah 1.18 says, Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. They are as red as crimson, they shall be like wool. See, this isn't like Jesus covers our sins and they're still there, but you can't really see them. No, they're gone. Completely wiped anew. This isn't like when I was a child and would do an art project. Actually, let's be honest. Now, if I try to do an art project, it would look scary. (laughs) And you give it to a loved one and they say, oh, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. Okay, let's be real. The art project is not the most beautiful thing you've ever seen, but the heart of the one who gave it gives you the eyes to see it that way. That's probably the best picture we can get of justification here on earth, but that's only a glimpse of the justification that we have from the Father. See, when Jesus looks at you, when the Father looks at you, he doesn't see your messed up mosaic life and see beauty in it, but see the mess. He sees his son. He sees Jesus. The same righteousness that Jesus had is ours to those who believe. Friends, that should stir something in your spirit. That should stir something in your hearts. That should fill us with great confidence, great joy, and great satisfaction in what it is that Jesus has done for us. Because in every way, we are now reconciled to God. We were in the category of enemies. And now through salvation, we're in the category where he calls us sons and daughters. Sons and daughters with all of the rights and privileges thereof. Hebrews 10 goes on to say in verse 19, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. See, I believe wholeheartedly that there's people in this room this morning who are wrestling with how God sees them. 
They're wrestling with their standing before him. And I'm here to encourage, to remind, and to proclaim boldly that for those that have accepted Jesus as their Savior, that your standing before him is sure. Your standing before him is spotless, is blameless, is justified, is forgiven. And you have been given the title ambassador for Christ. That means wherever you go, we're to boldly proclaim what's different in our lives because of Jesus. That's why I think this Christmas season can be so special because the message of the gospel is becoming increasingly countercultural to the world today. The world today wants us to live in fear. The world today wants us to be discouraged, to believe that our best days are behind us and that who knows what's going to happen for the future. I fervently believe that if we will walk into situations at work, in our neighborhoods, in our homes, wherever we go, with a boldness and a confidence and a joy, people will not be able to ignore it. They're going to ask you, why are you acting like that? Don't you see the news? Don't you know what's happening? He says, we do, and we're aware of it, but it doesn't end there. See, I met a Savior who said that it's not up to what I do, it's up to what he does. See, I met a God who says that he can change my circumstances and that he can give me a hope that's not based on any of this world. We can get to the point where Paul said in the scriptures is that if he's here, it's to live for Christ. If he dies, it's to be reunited with Christ. So ultimately, what does it matter? If I live, it's for Christ. If I die, it's to be reconciled to Christ. If we can get that mindset, if we can remember whose banner we're walking under, what righteousness is ours in Jesus Christ, see, I think it could change the way that we experience Christmas. I think it could change the way we experience relationships. I think it could change the way we experience even a pandemic. Let me be clear. I'm not saying that any of those circumstances are not real. And I think that Jesus calls us to be wise in these days. What I'm saying is that our hope isn't based on anything that comes from this world. Our hope is sure, our hope cannot be shaken, and our standing before God is as sons and daughters of the king, entitled to entrance into his courts, entitled to his ear at any point, and entitled to all of the resources of heaven to live out the mission that he's given us as ambassadors of the king. The first time that I realized that reconciliation with God really meant that all of these broken parts of me were now made pure, it was so humbling. It was so beautiful. It was so life-giving to realize that I could never measure up. I was never going to be good enough, but that I had found a Jesus who said, you don't have to be. He said, it's not up to you. He says, that's why I came. I want to read a, a uh, section out of a commentary that I saw in my studying this week that really portrays this message well. It says, reconciliation is both an accomplished fact 
and a continuing process. Although it is a done deed as a result of Christ's work on the cross, it nonetheless must be personally appropriated. This is where Paul and the gospel ministry fit into the picture. He and those like him function as God's agents in proclaiming what has been accomplished. To use Paul's language, God has appointed them to preach the word of reconciliation, and so they proclaim, be reconciled to God. Two things need to be noted. First, the verb is passive. It's not that we must reconcile ourselves to God, for that would be what the Greeks and Romans believed. Rather, we are to be reconciled, that is to accept what God has already achieved. Second, the gospel minister's job is not to bring about reconciliation, but to announce what has already occurred. In a real sense, he or she is the town crier herald proclaiming a news item of earth-shaking significance. In fact, we take on this role of the herald each Christmas when we sing the well-known lines by Charles Wesley, Hark, the, the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. See, Caleb and I didn't even talk about that song, but God knew. See, I wonder sometimes if we're not living like that day to day, if we're not living with that kind of boldness, that kind of, imp- that kind of passion that says, I have earth-shaking news, one of two things is messed up. Either we don't understand the earth-shaking gravity of the news that we have. And hopefully we've addressed that this morning. Hopefully we've shown what it means to be reconciled to God, what's ours in Christ, what's different because he came as a baby and died on the cross. If we're not sharing that, sometimes because we don't know, and other times it's because something's broken in us where we've forgotten to pick up the banner and proclaim. See, I found myself in a similar state um, early on when I was preparing this message and uh, told you there's two things I can get emotional about. It's my kids and Jesus. So I think there's probably about a 0% chance of me saying this without it getting emotional, but bear with me. This sermon was hard and I didn't expect it to be. I don't know about the rest of y'all, but for me, 2020 has not been an easy year. I think that's a bit of an understatement, probably. It's been a year of great blessing in some regards. Our third daughter was born this year. But it's been hard. It's been really hard. And I struggled immensely in preparing this message and just trying to figure out where I was at with the Ministry of Reconciliation. Was I one of those people that knew the message, but for some reason had stopped taking up the banner. And in a locker room stall on Monday, um, I wrote down this letter from God to myself. And I'm going to read it, or at least attempt to. With all of those emotions swirling around, with all of those feelings of inadequacy, of wondering where I'm at with all of this, and all of those seemingly shortfalls that I found in myself, this is what God said to me about myself. He says, I don't need who you were last year. I need who you are today. What you see as a mess, I see as a mosaic, because I see the totality of your life, 
and what I have for you. Take heart, my son. You are exactly where I want you to be. You thought this message was for the church, and it is, but more importantly, you needed to be reminded of my undying love for you and how proud of you I am. The patience and love you show your children has set the stage for me to show them how much I love them. Your perseverance at work has put you in a position for me to bless you abundantly. Your faithfulness to Melissa is a shining example of the joy that marriage can be, and your steadfastness is counted on by more than you realize. You're a man after my heart, and I'm so proud of you for that. You have endured the valley with great patience and perseverance, and it's time for a change of seasons. Prepare to experience my abundance like you haven't seen it before. I love you, my son, your heavenly father. Sometimes we don't know the message. Sometimes we just need Jesus to remind us. Sometimes we have to remember that the banner of Christ is worth whatever the cost. This Christmas, my hope and my prayer for myself and for all of us is that we'll remember the beauty, the significance, the majesty of God the beauty of what it means to be the reconciled and redeemed children of God, and that we would commit ourselves with passion and fervence anew to carry that banner wherever we go. Because, see, friends, all of us are going to encounter people within the next month that we don't see very often. Christmas is a time where families gather. Christmas is a time where we celebrate, where we become more introspective than other points of the year. And imagine with me what it might be like if during those times we chose to seize the opportunity to live differently as the redeemed of God and to invite others to the same. Imagine what it might do for the brokenness in our world if we were the church and stood up and said, you don't have to be scared. You don't have to be hopeless. You don't have to feel like this is the end. I met a Jesus that changed everything. Let me tell you about him. I want this year to be different. I want it to be different from my house. I want to seize the opportunities that Jesus gives to share the message of what it means to be reconciled and to see lost come home. To see people who were separated from God reunited with him, to see those who maybe have forgotten where they were at, forgotten what banner they were riding under, to come home, to come back to Jesus, to be filled with passion and acceptance anew. See, there's a story in the Bible, it's called the prodigal son, and many are familiar with it, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it this morning, but I want to mention and to draw our attention to the heart of the Father for when someone comes home. The scripture says that when his son was a long ways off, he ran to him, he embraced him, he put a coke on his back, he put a ring on his finger and says, my son who was lost has come home. 
I ask us this morning, what greater privilege is there this side of heaven than to partner with God in lost coming home? That's what I want to invite us into this Christmas season. Celebrate the gifts. Celebrate time with family. Celebrate the lights and all of the great food and all of the other um, symbols that we have. But remember that the message of the gospel is so needed in our day today. We are experiencing pain and brokenness and separation from God at a record pace. And it's up to us as the redeemed of God, as those reconciled, as those who have been given the ministry of reconciliation, to share that banner with the world. When you have hope when no one else does, people are going to notice. They're going to ask you why. When you have joy, when your circumstances seem insurmountable, people will notice. They'll ask why. And when they do, it's our great privilege to point them at the eyes of Jesus and say, you can have that too. Be reconciled to God. Don't let the opportunity pass you by. In closing, there's three questions that I want us to consider in our own lives as we go throughout this season. And we're going to have them on the, on the screen. I'm going to on the board. <laughs> on the screen for you to jot down, for you to take a picture of, or for you just to commit to memory. But there's three questions that I want you to wrestle with in regards to this message and the overarching message of the restoration of Jesus Christ during this Christmas season. And the first one, if we could put that up, is where in your life have you forgotten that you are a reconciled and righteous daughter or son of the King? Maybe where you're at this morning is that you need a moment with Jesus like I had in a gym locker room on Monday morning where you need Jesus to remind you whose kid you are. You need the Father to speak life into you, to remind you of how he sees you, how he doesn't see your failures or see where you've come short, but he sees you as a perfect son or daughter of the King. Maybe that's you today. The second question, how will you intentionally celebrate your reconciled relationship with Jesus this Christmas season? We've talked about that a little bit of what it looks like for our family. When we have joy and we have hope that seems like it doesn't make sense, it's because of Jesus. When we can laugh and celebrate and smile and be joyful during, during times where circumstances are tough, where they're difficult, it points people to Jesus. When we do things like Advent calendar at home, uh, or candles, excuse me, and our kids start asking questions, see, that's awesome. It's stilling in them at a young age of what the season's really about. But for you, what will you intentionally celebrate? How will you intentionally celebrate your reconciled relationship with Jesus this Christmas season? And the last question, and this one is probably the hardest is who will you encounter this Christmas that needs to be reconciled to Jesus? Who do you need to be reconciled with? And how are you going to do that? See, reconciling with Jesus is always the first step because we can't be reconciled to each other until we get that relationship right. What do we say here all the time? We lift him up and lift him out. It's about that vertical relationship with Jesus and its horizontal impact on everything else. And so the first thing is vitally important is you've got to get the vertical right. 
But once that's, once that's set, once the vertical is kicking on all cylinders, there are people that you have been ostracized from, that have hurt you, that have done all kinds of things that are painful. In this Christmas season, I ask you to pray about and to consider how might you be a part of a Christmas reconciliation miracle in their lives. See, my goal for myself as I think about the the person specifically that that means for me is that somehow, and I have no idea how because it doesn't seem possible, but remember, it's not up to us, it's up to Jesus. Somehow for the first time in probably some 40-something years that he will finally see himself like Jesus does. That he won't see his shortfalls, he won't see where he's fallen short, but that he'll see himself as Jesus does. And that that sight would fill him with passion anew to live for God, to live boldly with a peace and a confidence that can't be shaken. But don't let it be just like any other year. Don't let it be just a time that we go through the motions and get done what we have to and get on and get out of 2020 and on to 2021. But let's let this year be different. Let's choose to focus on what Christ has done, its impact for our lives, and proclaim boldly that banner as the redeemed children of God. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning that everything is different because you you came. Lord, we thank you that because you came, we are now reconciled and in right relationship with you. Jesus, I ask that for those in this room, that you would speak to their hearts, that your Holy Spirit would be at work breaking chains of bondage that have held us down for so long. Lord, this morning, remind your people whose they are. They are your daughters. They are your sons. They are forgiven. They are restored. They are reconciled to you, and they have been given the mission of proclaiming that to the world. Lord, may we do this with great boldness and significance this Christmas season. In Jesus' name, amen.